And it is time for another episode of Vegan Radio. Vegan Radio, Derek? No, just Vegan Radio. Oh. <laughs> stop telling me, Derek. What's up, Scotty? Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's the day before Leap Day. Oh, yeah, Le- Leap Day Eve. Yep, it's Leap Day Eve, exactly. You know why we have a Leap Day, Derek? Um, because the sun is slightly um, slower than it should be. No, the sun is just fine. It's the earth that's slower than it should be, perhaps. Right. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. I don't know. But the thing is, we lose uh, 59.18 seconds every day in our transit around the sun. That is to say, uh, every year we lose six hours. Six hours? That's right. And Man. so every four years we have to make up those six hours, and so we add a whole day to the calendar. Well, I'm going to make uh, <clears throat> full use of the extra day tomorrow. <laughs> what are you going to do? I'm going to procrastinate paying rent. All right. That's going to start. And uh, let's see. It's Friday. Uh-huh. I'm going to make muffins. Uh-huh. Vegan muffins. Oh, every Friday you're making the muffins? Yeah. Delivering them far and wide. <laughs> so on today's show, you know what we got going on, Scotty? I have no idea. We have... As usual. <laughs> we have Ashley Howard, who is a veganic farmer. He's starting a veganic CSA in Braintree, Mass, at Heaven's Harvest Farm. And he's going to talk to us about veganic farming. You know what veganic farming is? I I can only guess. <laughs> farming with no animal products. Wow. No manure. So it's even beyond no organic farming. It's veganic farming. That's right. It's the next frontier. That's right. I think we should move V up before O in the alphabet just to yep. commemorate this. By, by the time we're done, it'll be the first letter. <laughs> <laughs> Probably will. V A B. We're indomitable. We'll have to make the. We'll have to redo the song a little bit too to compensate. Yeah, exactly. In the alphabet <clears throat> song, V B C D. I don't know. V A. <laughs> oh, we're going to leave A in the position? I, I thought we'd we move We can leave everything end. else. Oh, yeah, uh, put A at the end. I got a whole plan for the alphabet, <laughs> my friend. The second half of the show, we are going to have a pre-recorded interview that Megan and I did with Rasa and Marie from, who have a uh, website called Deer in the Yard. And actually, that's not the name of their website, but they have a uh, they have they they have a home on the. They West have a deer Coast. in the yard and a website, <laughs> both. No, they, well, I found them through their website, but they have a a home where multiple deer come to visit them and just hang out and chill and get massages, and uh, it's kind of like a resort for deer, I think. Yeah, and of course, their first response was to call the press. No, 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 no I'm just I kidding. I think they uh, they are the press. They uh, did their own website, and and then the you know the bloggers and hunters and everyone started to find them and. Either harass them or <laughs> tell I them hope not. tell them wonderful things. Well, you know how hunters are. Oh, those deer they ain't for petting; they're for shooting. They're rodents. They're nuisances. Well, I don't know. Whatever they are, it's weird that they're like they just kind of approach this couple, right? Well, this couple just happens to be vegetarian, and uh, one theory that we came up with is that the deer can smell people who are carnivorous and people who are vegetarian by what they eat. You know. Because mm-hmm. we're made of what we eat, basically. Yeah. So uh, when deer smell another carnivorous animal, they get alarmed and run away. But when they smell a vegetarian animal, they're not as worried about it. 
that would make a certain kind of sense. Yeah. Deer are very perceptive. You ever seen them like all run together? Yes. They don't miss a beat, man. It's amazing. <laughs> I didn't know they listened to music, but I, I was once lost in a forest, uh, the Ocala National Forest. <laughs> it's a long story, uh, and I was wandering aimlessly, and I came upon these deer, and uh, we stood and just kind of like frozenly stared at each other. Were you like a deer in the headlights, Scott? I, I was pretty. I have to say, I was mesmerized. I've never seen such a beautiful animal. And then it uh, took off into the woods, and then it was so graceful, I was, I don't know, I was blown away. Uh, so, <laughs> this story is dear to my heart. <laughs> Where's well, Megan? If you're on vegan radio, you should say she or he instead of Should we it. bring that up? Where's Megan today? Uh, Megan is fashionably late again, I imagine. Yeah, or yeah. Else, or else she just totally forgot about us. No, I don't think so. I don't think she could have forgot. You don't think? I, I doubt I it. I reminded her yesterday we had a show. But. Right. Well, you've done your job. <laughs> <sighs> We're just going to have to bring uh, little Megan laugh tracks in with us to liven up the show at the beginning when she's not here. Oh, well, when we get that device with the button where we can just make any sounds we want, we'll have yeah. We'll have a variety of Megan laughs from our classic archives. We could have her, like, complimenting us and stuff. Uh-huh. Oh, Scott, you're so witty. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she's oh, ever Derek. said that. <laughs> no? <laughs> but then again. I think she thinks you're witty. I can edit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll just have her say a variety of words, and then we'll splice them together in our own twisted ways. Oh, yes, indeed. I don't doubt we will. Well, we should probably talk about veganism while we're here. Yes. What do you have in mind? I was hoping you'd have something. You got some news stories for us? Ah, yes, the naked news. Q, Q theme. <laughs> it's not the naked news anymore we're on uh we're on pacifica now we have to keep our clothes on right we would normally use the typewriter sound but now it's like the sounds of keyboards and they're very quiet oh um we'll put that in after yeah it just sounds like bugs running <laughs> well let's see my favorite story this week <laughs> is about um this Toxoplasma gondii. I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, This Week in Science for all those twist minions out there. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a podcast, it's a radio show. And they, they often bring up this, uh, well, occasionally, this Toxoplasma gondii, which causes toxoplasmosis in cats and humans. Um, and uh, apparently is considered to be one possible cause of spurious schizophrenia. That, show, that uh, people get. In fact, the reason it's uh, in the news this week is because PETA's um, Ingrid Newkirk uh, has commented on the fact that uh, Brittany May, because uh, you know, while she's in the institution, she's been uh, asking for ice cream a lot. We're not talking about Britney Spears on our show. Did you know that? Pri- Have we sunk to this level? Did you know that Britney Spears is an <laughs> anagram of Presbyterians? <laughs> it's all a conspiracy, I'm sure. I'm sure it's got something to do with it. But anyway, <laughs> so uh, this stuff, uh, apparently it's in, you can get it from eating meat uh, and other, you know, it can other it can get through in other ways. But basically once it's in your body, it kind of conceals itself uh, from your immune system and hides and waits. And then um, later on it starts to act up and can cause this um, these schizophrenic symptoms. But apparently it also has uh, other behavioral changes that are more subtle can occur and uh a person may simply uh take them as being you know part of their preferences and personality preferences so people don't even know they have 
a parasite bacteria living in them. Right, and, and the kinds of behaviors that it, it tends to uh, induce are types that would favor its um, being passed on. So you might, for example, crave more meat if you were to be infected. I'm just theorizing. I don't really know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but this stuff is out there, and we're, we're keeping a close eye on it because uh, parasitic infections that can modify your behavior and, and change your personality... Uh, I don't know. It kind of it kind of opens up the whole question of you know who are we, man? Who are we? Um, and we're going to have a station ID, and then we're going to come on with our next guest. We're going to find out who we are. This is Gene Bowston from Farm Sanctuary, and you're listening to Vegan Radio, where the animals are our friends, not our food. Go vegan. Hey, we have ha- Ashley Howard on the line. Hi, Derek. Hi, how you doing? I'm good, thanks. Hey. So, Ashley, you have a uh, farm in Braintree, Mass., called Heaven's Harvest. It's actually New Braintree. New Braintree. What happened to the old one? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) old Braintree. I've heard that before. New and improved Braintree? Yeah, well, Braintree is a community right outside of Boston, and New Braintree is just due south of Barrie, Massachusetts. Okay. Oh, I stand corrected. Right next to the Quabbin Reservoir. Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah, it's lovely there. Do you get any yep. of your water from there? Uh, we're still 10 minutes or so away from the water. We're actually in the community that at one time they wanted to uh, build a prison, and instead they put in the state police barracks, the training facility. So, huh? Wow. That was what New Braintree was famous for, and New Braintree is also famous for having more cows than people. <laughs> really, seriously. I believe it. So, what's up today, guys? Oh, well, we wanted to talk about your decision to switch uh, your CSA that you've had to a all-veganic CSA, and maybe you could just start by explaining what veganic is. Well, from my perspective, simply I was made uh, contact with uh, a woman in the Boston area. Her and her husband are going to be starting a cafe in Lynn, as well as a little... Um, store, a health store, but it's going to be vegan-driven. And I was interested mainly because there's always opportunity to help people in niche marketing. And as a farmer, I believed in organic practices. I was really autoimmune system ill back in my 30s and early 40s, and one of the ways in which I became well was to eat organically. And from a vegan standpoint, I am willing to grow at our farm um, our produce without the use of animal byproducts or animal products, provided we find a large enough group of people who want to take advantage of that. And so that's really what the test is right now. We're in the test market to offer what we do to a CSA in downtown Boston at the um, Cambridge Co-op, excuse me, it's the Harvest Co-op in Cambridge. And then there's a group of people that have expressed interest in the Worcester area. So we're really looking at needing around 100 CSA members who specifically want us to grow veganically. And then we'll do that for the whole farm. Because our other customers are not going to be distressed as long as we provide good quality organic vegetables and fruit. Right. So what kind of operations will you have to switch that you were doing in the past, what are you going to have to change in your well, harvesting Well, certainly methods? from a fertilizer standpoint, we're going to have to use all plant-based fertilizers 
Um, in the past, I've been able to use um, manure from a organic chicken farm in Hubbardston, which is pretty well known for its um, high omega content for its eggs. And then I also use traditional organic fertilizer, but mostly what I use is compost. And the vast majority of the compost that I've used in the past has been plant-based. So that's not going to change very much, but I've had to search out um, different kinds of fertilizer opportunities, specifically ones that utilize um, plants that are higher in nitrogen like alfalfa. It's going to probably run me an extra 40% in fertilizer and nutritional cost, which hopefully is going to be offset by some of the other things that I have been researching, not the least of which is the use of seawater. And I just found that really incredibly interesting. Um, if I could take a minute, I'll just explain sure. to you what that would do. Um, seawater basically has been used by hydroponic farmers in Florida and other places for lots of years, and there was a lot of research and usage done by some guys back in the 70s and early 80s, but it just never caught on. They were on national TV because basically the premise is, is that animals in the sea do not age the way in which we do, that even though they at some point die or are eaten in the food chain, they do not have significant changes in flesh because of the strong antimicrobial value of seawater. We all know that if we got poison ivy, one of the best places to go is to jump in the ocean because it has a lot of healing properties and drying properties. And seawater was used as a test that really, really caught my attention with two separate crops, both of them organically grown tomatoes. One was sprayed with seawater, the other was not, was grown traditionally organically. Both had introduced to them tobacco mosaic virus, and the crop that was grown straight organic all caught the virus and died. The crop that was sprayed with the seawater, none of the plants caught the virus, and they all flourished. Wow. So where will you be getting seawater from? Um, you get it as a um, dehydrated product, and you get it right from two different companies down in Florida, and then you add the appropriate amount of water depending upon what you have as needs. Instant water. <laughs> instant water. Dehydrated water. Instant, just add water. Instant, instant seawater. Right, yeah. right, of course. <laughs> now, there are, there are some formulations that are higher in mineral content, depending upon what you need. There are some that are higher in medicinal content. Um, but basically, the premise is that seawater sprayed at appropriate amounts for plants provides for them incredible um, immunity against pathogens, insects, viruses, bacteria, mold, fungi, all the things that farmers fight all the time. Oh. So I'm really encouraged by that, and I was going to do that anyways, and then as I was talking with the woman, Lisa, who has entered into this opportunity, I just really believed that, to be honest with you, that the good Lord was saying, use what you already know, and here I go. So it's a grand experiment this year. I'm, I'm excited about doing it. I'm hoping we're going to find enough people who will be interested in supporting this goal because I would assume that they would want to have something local because I know you can't go into many stores and buy something that's specifically vegetable off the rack that's vegan, even if it's organic. Right. That basically there is no certification process that I'm really going to be self-certifying our farm and making a promise that this is what we're going to do. You're kind of on the frontier with this... Uh well, <laughs> it's rather interesting that you should say that. <laughs> I've always been an entrepreneur. I, I'm a musician. I play the French horn professionally. I taught school for 20 years. I was a high school music teacher. But the farming piece is really in my family. My 
my uh, mom, um, her her brother was a large scale, you know, old fashioned dairy farmer in outside of Cortland, New York, where he had 400 acres and probably 70 or 80 wonderful cows. Some of my earliest wonderful memories was mm. being there when I was a kid, when I was very young. And he was a typical old type farmer. I mean, he didn't do factory farming stuff. It was the way in which it should be. So for me, that's in my blood, and I've always wanted to grow vegetables. I love putting seed in the ground and watching it mature and then being able to see its life cycle. And also, to be honest, eating it. I love it. <laughs> we do, too. So, <laughs> yeah. And when, when we provide a CSA to people and they get a bushel and a ninth box of vegetables, some people say, oh, that's so many, we can't eat them all. Well, I eat that many <laughs> myself in a week. I'm like, how can you not eat that when there's four people in your family? But we're just not, we're not well-trained in America, and you guys know that. Basically, oh, sure. yeah. the reason why you do what you do is because you recognize that there is a better way. Yeah, and really, uh, isn't this uh, trend of nit- high nitrogen fertilizers and, and things really... Uh, killing the soil. Yeah, I mean, it's leaving all kinds of residues and uh, killing the soil. And it really, it's such a recent development when it comes down to it. It's really the last, what, maybe 50 years. Right, and it really grieves my heart because... I have friends, along with my daughter, who do mission work, some in Honduras, some in Belarus. And my friend who's been to Honduras, he says, he's been there 15 times with groups of kids doing, you know, building hospitals and stuff like that. And he said the farmers there, they apply the pesticides and stuff by hand. Wow. You know, at least here in this country, there are, there are rules and regulations. I'm not saying I agree with the product, but at least there's rules and regulations about how it gets applied oh, yeah. there. And in many other parts of the world... There's no governmental rules and actions. Uh, cancer is one of our great exports here in the States. Yes, it is. Uh. <laughs> I, I, I agree 100% and agrees my soul. Um, one of the things that bothers me is that as an elder in my church, I see lots of people who should be at the forefront of being good stewards of this earth. And we have done a really poor job of taking care of it, and mainly it's the devitalization of the soil. When I taught school, I, I saw kid after kid after kid who nutritionally was so deficient, and they ate the typical American lifestyle, the yeah. American diet. Yeah. And one of the things we do is we help a lot of people with autoimmune disease, and that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about organic practices, is because it helps people clean out and allow their immune system to do what it's supposed to do without being overloaded. So that's another reason why I do what I do. Do you want to talk more about how you got sick and cured or helped Yeah, I, um, I did the typical American diet piece. I was a music teacher, and I basically didn't eat food until nighttime. I taught school all day. I taught horn lessons, played music and stuff, and I'd get home late at nighttime, and I'd eat the typical, um, without being crass, you know, I'd have a big steak with a bag of potato chips, drink a beer. And doing that over the course of some length of time, it really impacted me seriously, so I had Crohn's disease. I had Epstein-Barr virus and cytomegalovirus, and I was close to death on two different occasions. And to be honest with you guys, I have no idea what your bottom-line spiritual perspective is, but I know that God spoke to my heart and said, if you want to learn a different way, I'll teach you, but you have to obey. <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah. When you, when you start to feel better, many people give up on what got them well. Yeah. So it is really a lifelong commitment um, my son said to me the other day, he said, Dad, you're the most disciplined eater I know. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm never going to be skinny. I'm still short and round, but I am very, very <laughs> healthy at age 55. I am, my blood pressure is 110 over 70. My resting heartbeat is 60. 
Those are not numbers that are normally associated with American men at age 55. Of, of right. being a farmer must give you a lot of exercise, too. Isn't it? it does. And, you know, I'm, I'm probably so blessed more than I can imagine because I get to enjoy putting my hands in something that most Americans should do more often, which is called dirt. <laughs> dirt? We also, we, you know, <laughs> if you know anything about immunological functions, we have lots of kids today with immuno, immunological issues because they never were exposed and aren't exposed to what built immunities in us, which is the environment. Dirt. When I when my son ate a half of a moth, I'm sorry to say when he was nine months old, my wife was freaking out. That's not vegan. And the, and the, doctor, <laughs> and the doctor said that wasn't going to harm him at all. He said there was just good protein, which I thought was kind of funny because we were very paranoid. And, and the doctor is an old country doctor, and he said, you know, we we rob people of the opportunity to develop their immune systems because kids don't play in the dirt. Everything has to be spick and span. That's what I always used it's to tell right. my mom. I'm building my immune system, Mom. Come on. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, kids, try yeah. that one. Put away that <laughs> antibacterial <laughs> soap. <laughs> so, basically, we're maybe the only farm that I'm aware of that is willing to make this transition, and I'm doing so not because I am a vegetarian or a vegan, but because I believe people have the right to make that choice, and if I can help them fulfill their desire to be and eat a certain way, then I think that it's a good thing, and I would say I eat 80% of my diet is vegetables, so basically for me... That's probably a little more than a lot of vegetarians. (laughs) I think you're probably right. (laughs) For people with stones and things like that. Lots of heavy carbs are part of the reason why we have that. Not the carbs that are good, but the ones that are easily broken down. Right. So for me, I, I'm grateful. Uh, um, I'm going to do the experience, the experiment no matter what. Whether we become a large CSA from a veganic standpoint is really open to the people at large. If they want to support it, we'll do it. We have 72 acres, so it's not like we have any loss of opportunity from a, um, a standpoint of land. We are also located right smack dab in the middle of the state. We're only five miles from the epicenter of New England. Rutland, Massachusetts is the actual geographical center of all of New England. So we're five miles from the center of Rutland. And here we are. And I have really appreciated you guys inviting me on. So if you want to ask me any other questions, pick my brain. What little there is there you can have. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first for our our vegan listeners in Massachusetts, um, where, if they were to... uh, become members in your CSA, which basically for people who don't know means that they would have a share in your in your output of your farm. So if you have yeah. a really good year, they get a lot more, and if they if you have a bad year, a little less, but either well, way. Well, we guarantee 15 weeks. Yeah. And if weather and crop production help, then we'll do extra weeks at the end, and there's no extra fee for that. We actually have a delivery that will be made at the Harvest Co-op in Cambridge. And then we have a group of people who are interested in Worcester. That's yet to be determined where that would be. And then I probably would for a group of 50, between 30 and 50, hopefully 50, I would come out to the western part of the state as well someplace there. And what we typically do is, yeah, if we got enough people together that would make it financially worthwhile, we would definitely do that. I bet we've got a large receptive group here. We can talk to our uh, our regular uh, monthly um, veggie group. Yeah. Yep, I'd be more than willing to do that. 50 people would be helpful because that what that really does is that causes us to break even and I'm not putting money out of my pocket for the for the fuel. 
I'm actually being able to break even and say, okay, 50 people is really the bottom to drive a significant distance. Because to go to Northampton, I was just in South Deerfield this morning. I was at Full Bloom Farm. Oh, maybe we could come pick up, come pick up uh, a load on the vegan bus every week. (laughs) Absolutely. And we wouldn't even need 50 people. If there was a place where somebody was willing to be a high, uh, excuse me, a site coordinator, that's basically how all of my sites. We have 18 different places we deliver to. As wow. far away as Duxbury, down yeah. on the South Shore, and up in Reading. As long as there's a site coordinator and there's a place that it can stay cool, we have a refrigerated truck and we deliver the same basic hour and a half time window every week on the same day. And then, because it's going to be refrigerated, the vast majority of people could take three hours before they pick it up before anything would even start to wilt. Well, and great. 85% of what we deliver that day gets picked that morning. Nice. So can't get can't any fresher than that. No, it really can't. Unless you come and graze at the farm itself, um, it's not going to get any fresher <laughs> than that. I've belonged to a CSA for the past few years, and um, they they have a, we can come pick our own herbs and flowers and stuff. Do you have anything like that? We haven't had that in the past. I'm not saying I would be against doing that. Um, one, of the, one of the issues at a farm, just to be fair, is that if something happened to somebody on the property, insurance issues are really problematic yeah and i know people like to think that something's not going to happen but growing up one of the young men that i knew in rhode island he actually was an all-state football player and he got killed on a tractor at his farm <laughs> so i'm 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 well, really going to shred the tractors that's for sure <laughs> the, the business that i'm in i do insurance and financial planning in order to be able to afford to be a farmer ah. so i am not against people coming to visit i'm not sure that i like the idea about people actually working in the field but we do have opportunity for people during the season like if we have available and people want to freeze for a dollar a pound we'll sell 50 pounds of green beans try getting organic green beans for a dollar a pound anywhere (laughs) all right uh, you heard it here first listeners green beans in brain tree new brain tree tree. (laughs) excellent and so if you guys are interested um if you want to give out my email address i'll be happy to do that for anybody who wants to connect, because maybe somebody wants to be a site coordinator. Typically, a site coordinator would get the minimum number of people, and then what we do is we do the Old Old Testament biblical thing. We give 10% of the group free, so that either the person who's in charge can get theirs for free and give away some, or you can give some to people who are in need. Whatever it is that that site coordinator wants to do, that's what we do. Excellent. And like us, we, we like to smite the evildoers, like the Old, Test- <laughs> the Old Testament style. Okay, wise guy. <laughs> I get a chance to meet you in person sometime. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah, that's okay. I'm 55 and I'm five foot four, so I'm not that scary. Uh, I'll repent. Well, you're a farmer. You no, probably... you won't. I know better. <laughs> I can tell. You sound just like my son. I love it. <laughs> ah. Um. Anything else, guys? Do you want to be able to give out the email, or would you rather have some other? Um, well, form of if you feel comfortable, you could say it on the on the oh, yeah. air. I don't have any problem with it at all. Um, it is heavens with an S, but no apostrophe. Organic at Yahoo. Heavens nice. organic, all one word, all lowercase at yahoo.com. Great. And they can send an email off. My first name is Ashley, and my wife's name is Ethel, but I'm the one that takes care of basically the farm stuff. She's still a music teacher. So she actually gets a vacation. I don't. <laughs> she gets her summers off while you're working. Well, she actually participates in helping put the CSAs together. 
most of the time when I was a teacher, all of our help basically were my students. So kids got to have a decent summer job. They knew me. I knew them. They knew when I was a Grinch that they would go the other <laughs> way, and I knew that when they were slacking off, I'd give them more work. <laughs> I was a band teacher, so, you know, there were trombone players and tuba players and clarinet players. and So over the course of the year since 1994, we probably employed 175 high school and early college-age kids. Wow, music we and firing. It's important that they have an, uh, uh, a healthy place, a healthy work environment to learn about work, but also I would never have young people working at a farm where we're spraying chemicals and things like that. I just, I would really have a hard time with that. Yeah, you'd, you'd mess up their hormones. You wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, well, you're absolutely correct. Not I don't know if they're... you guys have seen it, and I'm sure we're going to be done here shortly, but one of the things that I noticed over the 20-plus years of teaching is how much body mass-wise kids grew, how much earlier they're maturing physiologically. There's no doubt that it's all connected to our food chain. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt. I watched it. Kids who were depressed on all kinds of anti-depression medication and all kinds of stuff. And frankly, when you clean up their diet, clean up their lifestyle, many, if not all of those things go away. I just wish we could get more people to listen because, frankly, we're fighting a hard battle against an established, dare I say, pharmaceutical and medical mm-hmm. community. That's and pretty problematic today. Yeah, it's getting out there. Yes, yeah. sir. Well, that's Gentlemen, that's a battle we're fighting. Yep, uh, that, I think that's good, Ashley. Thanks so much for coming on our show, and I hope uh, I hope it helps get some uh, customers out to you, and so we can get this veganic revolution going. Yeah. Well, I'm on board. You got <laughs> me. You got me eighty percent, which is pretty good for anybody <laughs> like me. Uh, come back in a couple of years. I bet you'll be ninety. <laughs> You're right, and I'll, and I'll look younger. Absolutely. Yep. You'll, be, you'll be like the fish. You'll never age. That's right. <laughs> Take care, guys. Enjoy right. your day. You too. Bye. Bye. Down on the farm in Arkansas, that's where I growed with my ma and pa. Our shack was made of logs and straw. You're listening to Vegan Radio on the Pacifica Radio Network and available as a podcast through veganradio.com. Urging you to go veganic. In the early fall, and we'd eat them skin and all, way down on the farm. The days just flutter by, with nary a care or panic. I'm lying on my hammock, eating some apples and they're all organic. Yes, you're always safe and warm down on the farm. Hey, dude, you ever see Mr. Holland's Opus? No. It's a great movie. Can we talk about that on the radio? <laughs> uh, so are we... Uh, are we um, Megan Shackle for it is... All right. Yeah. Where, where is she? I hope she... Yeah, uh, seriously. She, maybe she's... Uh, I thought she'd be here by now. Maybe she ran into a uh, vegan pile of chocolate and ah. couldn't extricate herself or something. That does happen, <laughs> you know, and with Leap Day right around the corner. Oh, Leap Day. That Yeah, that always gets people worked up. A little bit. You know, what to do with that extra day, you know? Yeah, it really throws a wrench. You know, and I, I think, you know, when they when they did the Black History Month and Women's History Month, they really wanted it to be on the shortest month of the year, and um, and, and this year they have to contend with the extra day as well as you know a, a black and a woman candidate running for democrat president i think it's also procrastination awareness month is it i would gather 
So this this year is really going to mess a lot of people up with this extra day, I think. Um, and, you know, it's a good thing we're here to cover the story. Yes, we are. <laughs> and here's another story for you. <laughs> <laughs> Prince Charles has removed foie gras from his menu. <laughs> Isn't that exciting? <laughs> In a world. In it's a world where <laughs> Prince Charles <laughs> removes foie gras from the menu. <laughs> Prince Charles. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah. Uh, um, it's about time, eh? Do you want to... Isn't he like 80? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, I'll tell you a little bit about it <laughs> before we go on to this next uh, recorded interview. Are we going to go to our um, correspondent in London now? Or? Our correspondent in London, Jeremy Satchwell. <laughs> How's it going, Jeremy? <laughs> Good, eh? Just great, eh? Uh, whoa, whoa, that was bad. <laughs> that was the wrong accent. I know, it's totally went Australian and <laughs> Kiwi there. I don't know what that was. Well, anyway, animal rights activists are praising Britain's Prince Charles for giving up the foie gras because of the other, uh, of the animal cruelty involved in making it. Yes, the heir to the British throne has instructed chefs at his residence not to buy or serve foie gras, the Times of London reported Wednesday. The technique produced foie gras by force. Feeding birds dates to Egypt in 2500 B.C. Did you know that, Derek? They fed birds dates? 2500 B.C. Wow. It dates back to then. Oh. France is the largest producer and consumer of foie gras, <laughs> but sales of the delicacy are banned in Germany, Israel, Norway, and Poland. Mon Dieu! Prince Charles' decision to stop serving foie gras was disclosed in a letter to Joyce Moss, an activist with Vegetarian International Voice for Animals. The Times said... Isn't that nice? I don't know who wrote the That's letter. That's cool. But maybe he wrote a royal letter to her. Um, the French get very upset. Remember we covered that uh, James Bond? Oh, it was uh, back in one of the early vegan radios. We had the, the James Bond guy there. What was his name? Daniel Craig? No, the the second one, you know. Sean Connery? No. <laughs> <laughs> Roger Moore? Roger Moore. <laughs> oh, Roger Moore, yes. And he did the foie gras thing and, and his British accent. That's right. We should have I'll that. have a little foie gras, please. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> He was against it, Scott. Oh, he was against it. Okay, well, here's the thing. Animal rights campaigners in Britain have been trying to persuade the government to ban foie gras, but officials say doing so would violate EU laws, which mandate the production of foie gras, the torture apparently. of geese. Um, yes. Okay, well, the EU isn't perfect, in case you didn't know. <laughs> Ew. And there you go. That's our story. That's a that's a good story, Scott. I know. Well, I like Prince Charles, you know. So, and we're still fighting foie gras here in the U.S. One of the producers is still in New York State, trying yeah. to trying to get it banned in New York State. You can probably check out um, farmsanctuary.org for more information. I know they have a lot of foie gras campaigns. Mm-hmm. And Gene uh, Bauer, Farm Sanctuary founder, his uh, book release is in New York on Tuesday, and I'm going to be there uh, Tuesday, March fourth. And go to farmsanctuary.org for more info about that if you want to meet Derek Goodwin. Yeah. And Gene Bauer. Now you can get him to do a, P- think, uh, uh, a spot for us with his real name, his new name. Gene Bauer. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> if you would. <laughs> I don't know. I think our, our old uh, our old spot with his old name is uh, it's kind of like a collector's item now. It is. We'll put it in the classic archive. So um, we have this pre-recorded interview that Megan and I did with um, Rasa and Marie and their Deer in the Yard website and they're going to tell us all about the Deer in the Yard and other things related to Deers in the Yard and it's just a really sweet story about um, humans and 
deer being able to coexist in a wonderful way rather than as hunted and hunted. Hunted. Hunted and hunted. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I've been hunted. I'm a hunted. My name is Marlies Jermutus, and I'm from Germany. I live since 10 years in the United States. I'm an abstract artist since 1971. And I'm a musician nearly so long, and I play in the music group Starseed. Tampura, it's an Indian instrument. And I'm the mother of the mother of wild deer. Lots of wild deer in my <laughs> backyard. I'm Richard Rasa. People call me Rasa. And I'm also a musician playing sitar with Starseed. I'm a web designer on the East Coast and mostly a musician on the West Coast, traveling back and forth quite a bit. I'm very old friends with Marlies and where we are on the West Coast is where all the deer are. And um, I think that uh, uh, the, the connection we have to the deer was something that didn't really um, uh, come about as a, a, anything planned, but really was just moving into their neighborhood. And then they decided that they liked us, mm -hmm. and it kind of carried on from there. When I put up photographs of the deer on my website and created a little separate site called Deer in the Yard, we started to get so many hits on the website and so many emails that for one thing, I had to change my ISP. I had to switch to another company because the local company couldn't uh, couldn't really handle the traffic. We got um, within about a three month period, we had probably a half a million visitors to the website soon wow. after it came up. So you can imagine that they couldn't handle that. And um, so many letters from so many people, and we were so astounded by uh, the compassion that people felt mm -hmm. towards deer and I would say maybe 85% of the letters were from I don't know about fundamentalists but pretty strong Christian believers who felt and said so in writing that we were doing God's work and they blessed us for that and wow, said we would really? have yeah. yeah we'd have a place in heaven because of our love <laughs> for the deer and all of that you know and I I so appreciate all of that mail but especially from some hunters who wrote us. I mean, a lot, we got a lot of letters from hunters. 
And some of them were extremely rude and crass. And there were some hunters' websites where they wrote about us on blogs and talking. You know, I don't know, I'm not going to repeat anything, but a lot of pretty crass jokes. But yeah. the the majority of hunters, I was really impressed, would write us and say, um, "Your you know your pictures are so amazing. I wish I could touch a deer or get that close to the deer like you do." Uh-huh. And and so yeah. many of them would say immediately. Uh, you know, I only hunt deer for my family to have food. There was a Native American elder, actually, who wrote us an email, and he's from Massachusetts, and he described so beautifully taking his son out on their first deer hunt. His, I think, son was eight or nine, and he talks so wonderfully about the American Native American tradition of how they hunt and that they have a blessing that they. Um, offer the deer when, when you know before they kill the deer and all of these things. We have a, a video uh, that we made on YouTube that's um, called "Deer in the Yard," and if you look at the comments in there, there's a couple comments from hunters, and we've gotten emails as well who have said, you know, after we saw these photographs of you massaging the deer or them <laughs> licking you or whatever it is, we've got. Um, they they just turned around completely, and one hunter wrote us and said, "I'm never going to hunt again. I just can't bear the idea of shooting those wonderful creatures." And I think that's pretty rare that that happens, but it did. Yeah, but it has right. Uh, yeah, even one turns around. Right, if one yeah. turns around, it's yeah. very nice. That's mm. yeah. I think eight years ago, I bought the house mm-hmm. in the area that is on a lake and a lot of trees evergreens around on my property so pretty soon came a deer an older deer and she came around to the porch and I thought girls you're strange you know so I was quiet and watched what was going on and then I gave her some um, organic potato chips (laughs) (laughs) on kettle she loves it you know so so then we developed really a kind of friendship, you know, without, and then she got that for then in the summertime, she got her first babies, so she had them around the property, and so I watched that all, and we came near and near. So over all the years, you know, we, and then Raza, of course, visited us, you know, so we all became an unbelievable strong communication with them, you know, without even words, you know. But uh, it's a very strong bond, right? I think the deer would come in the house if I would let them, you know, mm. but I, can, I will <laughs> not do that, you know. So it's just wonderful, this wild deer, you know, coming to me and show me a lot. You know, you can learn a lot from animals, how they trust, how they act with their babies, how they act in their whole environment, you know. They are still wild, you know, even if they come. Then we learned, of course, uh, that we can't feed them. In California, it's forbidden to feed the deer. Mm. So one hunter wrote to the police in my area. So one day, knock, 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 the police came (laughs) and said, I can't feed the deer. And I said, I didn't know that, so I didn't, don't do that anymore. But a little treat, I do that always. (laughs) 
and they bring their babies and they come to the porch and feed their the babies and I mean it's uh, it's a bug too you know the the female the male mm -hmm. yeah so sometimes I have uh, Freddy I think is the oldest maybe now seven years old he has huge antlers you know so when he comes you know and I think yow me now you know pretty <laughs> big animal yeah. you know very majestic you know and calm and comes and yeah it's wonderful all the deer I think I have sometimes 15 16 deer around in the yard in the first time of course when I didn't know you know so I had roses I had salad I had uh, different uh, stuff on veggies I had uh, uh, strawberries yeah strawberries so one day I, I okay always watering every morning every night you know this mini yard garden and then okay I came one time out and I saw uh, Rose, Mama Rose, that was my f the first deer I had contact to. She was standing in the middle of the yard, you know, she went over the whole fence, stand in the middle of my wonderful little veggie yard, and everything was gone. <laughs> <laughs> so I was crying, really crying, and I said to her, that is your ridiculous, Rose, you know, how can you do that, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and she looked really, she looked at me, believe me, like she understands and <laughs> sings, you know, and said, listen, I, uh, that is my instinct. That is what I'm doing, you know. You have to watch what you plan. There's a couple so, of deer that love to come up on the porch. The, that Mama Rose, the first deer we met years ago, she's gone now. And mm -hmm. um, we don't know where. Hopefully the hunters didn't get her, but mm. she was pretty old. She was old yeah. when we met her. And we could see yeah. she was blind in one eye, mm. and, you know, and had lots of babies. We could tell just from yeah. all the generations that would follow her around. Wow. But um, now her, I don't know, great-granddaughter? Who's Eva? We have Lisa, who's, who's, who's pictured on the internet. Lots of people have copied her picture because she just sat so gracefully inside this little copper frame pyramid that we have in the backyard. Mm -hmm. And so she's posed in there. It's a really, really precious <laughs> photograph. Eva, her daughter, has become the dominant deer in this herd that comes mm -hmm. around, this group that comes around. And so Eva... You know, we'll wake up in the morning and Eva's on the porch. She'll climb up the stairs on the porch and she's looking in the windows in the house, just waiting to see if we're awake yet. You know, what are you guys doing? But she sits up there a lot and she, I think she just likes to come up and look over the view and she's sort of in charge of everything. Mm -hmm. It's so amazing. They don't say anything. You know, very rarely we hear a baby do a little cry, you know, but they, they're silent. completely mm -hmm. silent, you know, and they run through the yard or through the woods. You don't hear a thing, I know. Mm -hmm. you know. And sometimes I'll be sitting in the backyard and I'm looking in the woods, and then suddenly there's this deer looking at me that's completely invisible. They're, you know, their coloring changes during the year, and they just, you know, walk into the woods and they're gone, mm -hmm. just completely mm -hmm. gone. Vegetarian before the deer oh, yeah. started and since coming. Nineteen seventy, I okay. think, or something vegetarian. So yeah. this this connection no. was just like oh a yeah yeah of course yeah and they are vegan you know completely vegan. So uh, when I gave them sometimes a treat in the first time when I didn't know a little treat like a little 
uh, covered chocolate, blah, 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 you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, Can they eat chocolate? <laughs> they eat everything. <laughs> Not all the deer. All the deer, you know, the different deer, they eat different food, yeah, really. They're all different. But, yeah. uh, right, you know. So Mama Rose, she eat pretty much everything but was vegan. You know, so when I came one time with that little covered chocolate cookie, you know, she sniffed and then, you know, really (laughs) horrible, like telling me, listen, leave me alone with that stuff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Did you ever try to give her a vegan cookie? (laughs) (laughs) No, and they like really, when I give them uh, the... the, uh, uh, Chips, you know, potato chips, you know. They <laughs> this is, this is a theme, chips. right? You like, they, you like chips, I guess. Uh, yeah, they like uh, the chips more than me, believe me. <laughs> but uh, um, um, they like organic because they are used to that organic stuff, you know. Right. I eat since long time organic. So, uh, they, you know, they don't eat the... Uh, potato chips who are not organic, you know, huh. because sometimes you know, I say, okay, let's get that back here. No, okay. Then I try, no, they don't eat that. You know, they eat only, <laughs> especially Eva, she's very picky. She eats really only organic chips, you know. <laughs> Isn't it not That's wonderful? So I mean, they smell the chemicals, mm-hmm. well, not chemicals, oh, sure. you know. Their noses are amazing. Uh, I see them walking around the yard and um, mm. The, there was no lawn or anything. It was a very dry desert environment. And so we put lawns in the front and backyard, you know, and they have to have, it's California, you have to have water mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. built in so that it will stay green. And um, uh, we planted not only grass, but clover in about a 50 50 mixture. So the whole lawn is covered with clover. And the yeah, deer love just love it. They <laughs> love that. So, I mean, they get so much to eat. You know, we like to give them a little snack occasionally, but really not that much. They have so much to eat in the yard. They're eating the sage bushes and the juniper trees and and all these little plants that I don't even know what half of them are. And, you know, they go from plant to plant and sniff. And we watch them long enough. You see that some deer will never eat certain things and Mm -hmm. some deer really love Hmm. those other things. And, you know, they're, they're all very different. They all have their own personalities, their own tastes. And they behave to us differently a lot of times. One time I went out in the yard and it was very wet and I had kind of rubber boots on to, just to keep my feet dry. And they made these squeaky, really weird squeaky noises. And I went out in the yard, and all the deer there who knew me really well, as soon as I started walking, every step, they were completely freaked out. They couldn't Hmm. figure out what What was was making that noise. And one of the ways they communicate is with their feet. Um, They're always talking to each other with the way they move their feet. You can see their body language. They're so tuned Mm -hmm. into that, that, that they can communicate very subtle cues to one another just by the way they turn their heads or... And what they do with their feet often is either stamping a foot and they'll just stamp it lightly to tell maybe a smaller deer or another deer that they think doesn't belong there that this is their place and they, Mm. you know, don't come near my place, you know, especially if they're eating some tasty flowers or something. (laughs) They have good reason for it. But it's really been fascinating to watch all the ways that they communicate and the different things they do with one another. You know, we'll be sitting in the yard and there's like 10 deer in the yard, some of them laying down, some of them eating, some of them just standing around looking. And then all of a sudden, there'll be some noise that we don't hear. 
and every deer in the yard will ha like sit up their ears they, these are mm. mule deer they have giant ears their ears will perk up and they'll all turn in the same direction you know listening to whatever that thing is and if it's something they feel is a threat yeah instantly they're gone i mean we almost don't see them go they can just leave the yard in half a second Seventies, when I became a vegetarian, the main reason was at first with all the chemicals what mm -hmm. starts then, right, the and then we had a. I had a very good friend from China. He was uh, very well trained in China before they left. Before when Mao came, Mao Zedong came in power. So Tian Su Hao, he explained that one time very good to me. He said, when all the animals, when they get, go to the slaughterhouse, they smell already miles mm -hmm. away the blood. And then that fear comes up. And that is stuck as energy in their bodies. Okay, and when they go to the final kill, then that whole fear is stuck in the cells. So we eat that all. You know, that fear. Think about what kind of fear we eat, you know, and the whole planet is full of fear. I mean, I will not say that only if you are vegetarian, you are without fear or whatever. No, that is not the issue. But I think by now we have a consciousness on the planet that we can become vegetarian and need not any more animals to, to uh, 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 nourish our body with nutrition. We have so many nutrition, you know, especially here in America. So much food. I mean, not only in California, but here too. Everywhere food, you know, nutrition over nutrition. But the people eat all that negative food, you know. And they, I mean, they don't even think about it, you know. As a, as a, as a child, you grow up when your parents are... Uh, eat meter, you have to get meat, right? Because they believe that they are the most nutrition or because they are used to that, why ever, never think about it. And the kids have to eat the meat. If you don't eat your meat, you don't you get your pudding. pudding. <laughs> You know, so uh, <laughs> so uh, you know that is uh, very. And then we figured out in the seventies actually to produce one kilo of meat, you you need ten kilo of grain. Yeah. One kilo meat, you get ten kilo of grain. You need. Think about that. In this uh, on this planet, where so many uh, people countries are in. Poverty have nothing to eat for days, for months, blah, 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 you know. So that is not anymore, we can't take that anymore with our consciousness, you know, and with our heart. There's whole suffering on the planet, not only because we are eating meat and eating all that away to raise uh, animals, all that, think about that. You know? 
was also heading to India to study Indian music. And um, I ended up on a commune in Germany where everyone was eating pretty much just brown rice. When I first got there, they were on a brown <laughs> rice fast. So they were actually only eating, eating brown rice for a week. And I tried that. Doing the fast, and after that week, I felt so cleaned yeah. out, so clear in my head that I just stopped eating meat altogether. And um, you know, I've gone back a few times, or there was a little while in my life where I was eating a little fish and sometimes a little chicken, but then stopped again. I just feel so lighter and so healthier, having less meat to eat. And it and it's not a matter of the taste. It's not really a matter of the ethics for me primarily, although I believe strongly in the ethics of not eating meat for a, a myriad of reasons. But for me, the, the health aspects, is that's just so crucial. I mean, I can't play my music and be sensitive to that subtle vibration of sound if I'm digesting a huge hamburger. Mm. It just doesn't work. And the the benefits to my health have been profound really um, in terms of just being able to control my weight and you know not feeling you know when you're you know, when the cold season comes around you know tons of people get the flu or they get cold and a lot of that mucus in their system you know they don't realize that oh I'm going to drink this big glass of milk in the morning that's helping to create more of that mucus and or whatever you eat everything you eat affects your 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 body in so many different ways and, and then eventually your consciousness as well I, I think that the experience of becoming a vegetarian um, just taught me in itself all of the benefits. I could just feel it and I never wanted to go back. Uh, for Starseed Music, you can just uh, go on the web and do www.starseedmusic.net, N-E-T. And uh, if you wanted to look at Marlies's art on the web, that's Starseed Gallery. So it's just S-T-A-R-S-E-E-D, gallery, one word, dot net. And if you'd like to look at Deer in the Yard, just go to pelorian.com. And there's a button right on the home page. Pelorian is P-E-L-O-R-I-A-N dot com. And you're listening to Vegan Radio on WXOJ LP Northampton 103.3 FM and broadcasting on the Pacifica Radio Network. That's it for our show. At the it's end of that interview, the, uh, the emphasis on, um, you know, the clarity that comes with uh, clearing out all the, all the violence that you're in bringing into your body, taking the time to, you know, really open yourself up and not take an adversarial stance towards the world. That's right. Well, thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you next time. Somewhere. <laughs>